Hello, and welcome back to the Hearsay Podcast, a joint project between Pro Bono Students Canada, University of Calgary Chapter, and CJSW 90.9 FM. This is a podcast where University of Calgary law students discuss a variety of legal topics with professionals in the field. We'd like to emphasise that the information you hear today is legal information and not legal advice, as we are law students and not lawyers. This podcast is purely for informational purposes. If you do require legal advice, please consult a lawyer, as there is no substitute for a professional. My name is Olu, and I'll be your host. I'm here with my co-host, Emily. Today we will be speaking about internet law, what it is and why it's important as well as looking into proposed legislation discussing the legal responsibilities of online intermediaries such as social media to deal with harmful online content. Joining us today is Emily Laidlaw, who is a law professor at the University of Calgary. She researches in the areas of technology regulation, cybersecurity and human rights, with a focus on platform regulation, online harms, privacy, freedom of expression and corporate social responsibility. She is a Canada Research Chair in Cybersecurity Law, a Network Director of the Canadian Network on Information and Security, and a member of the Institute for Security, Privacy and Information Assurance. She's also the author of the book, Regulating Speech in Cyberspace, Gatekeepers, Human Rights and Corporate Responsibility. In the spirit of reconciliation, we would first like to acknowledge that hearsay is recorded on Treaty 7 territory. We acknowledge that Treaty 7 territory is the traditional and ancestral territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, consisting of the Kanai, Pekani, and Siksika, as well as the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda First Nations. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3 within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have gone before us. We make this acknowledgement as an act of gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting. The use of the internet and technology continues to become more integral to our daily lives. As we learn to grapple with this new world, we also have to figure out ways to establish order and protections through internet law. Professor, could you give us a broad overview of what internet law is? What should the public think about when they hear these words? That's a great question, and it actually made me pause hearing it. Um, And I think in a way it's, it's a bit broader than than internet law, and it's more about just technology, um, that uh, we have a relationship with technology. It helps set social structures, the dynamics of how we interact with each other. It's a tool for, for innovation and success and a tool for harm. And so when we study it in internet law, um, what we're really studying is what exactly should be the guardrails or the rules um, that uh, govern uh, the use of technology or the impact of technology on people. So we have internet laws already. What would happen if the internet wasn't regulated, if we were all free to, to do whatever we liked on the internet without any retribution or any safeguards? 
Well, and I guess I'd maybe focus it a little bit more on um, if it's okay if I focus more on, say, the online harms question, because if we talk about it just generally on in, in internet, I, it's so broad and and it's not a different world. I mean, it's part and parcel of our world. So all the laws that exist now apply online. It just might be more challenging to to figure out the application of current laws in new contexts, or it might be more difficult to enforce those laws. Um, but uh, if we look at the area of, say, online safety or online harms, um, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, who should be governing this space? Because in the end, there's always some rules that apply, right? And it might be set by the individuals that are parts of online communities. It might be set down by the companies that offer the services, or it might be set down by government. And I think that one of the big tensions that, you know, or points of friction we're in right now is well, how formal do we have to make these rules? I mean, is this a government's job to set down what these rules are? And are there unintended consequences for, for doing so? And are there serious risks of just kind of leaving it in the hands of, of the corporations that provide the services to set the terms of use? So this actually perfectly translates over to our next set of questions. Um, but to give a bit of context, there's recently been word of new technology legislation being proposed uh, that may have to do with the Christchurch call to action. So for listeners who aren't sure what this is, the Christchurch call of action is a commitment that was made by 120 governments, online service providers, and civil society organizations to eliminate terrorist and violent extremist content online after the tragic terrorist mosque attacks in Christchurch, New Zealand. So with this in mind, and before discussing the potential proposals, uh, Professor, could you speak to what online safety laws we currently have in place and why they might not be adequate? Uh, yeah, that's a great question because Canada, um, I'd say for Commonwealth countries, stands out because uh, we don't have comprehensive laws in this area. And so is this a late mover advantage where we can learn from other jurisdictions? Maybe, but only if we act now. Um, I think if we wait much longer um, Canada will certainly be sort of left behind in protecting both, you know, human rights and as well as, as protecting us from harm. So I will say that the, the Christchurch uh, uh, call for action was focused on the, the responsibilities of tech companies, of what you could call platforms or intermediaries or online gatekeepers, whatever you want to call it. It is the the social media companies and different messaging apps and, you know, video game platforms, whatever it is that provide these services that enable people to communicate with each other and interact. And the concern has become, well, what is exactly is the responsibility of these platforms for the harms that might flow from the use of their services, whether it's radicalizing individuals or, I mean, that might be overstating it to say that, but maybe contributing to radicalization, um, certainly space where you can, uh, I guess, you know, spread um, and distribute child sexual abuse material, hate speech, um, any other bullying and abuse. So that's the focus. In Canada, we uh, 
the only laws that we have that would directly apply would be defamation law. So we're, defamation law is a law that applies to um, to regulate the telling of lies that might impact reputation, right? That's what it is at its core. And um, our intermediary liability laws say that if if you are a platform, um, if you're, you know, TikTok, and um, you're hosting content, and you essentially become, you, you obtain knowledge that you're hosting defamatory content, you have an obligation to take it down. Otherwise, you risk liability for the underlying wrong. Um, and um, and there, there's good and bad about this uh, kind of model. It's certainly what's existed in, in Europe for a very long time under their e-commerce directive. It is absolutely not the law in, in the United States. But that's a really narrow area. I mean, I, I kind of listed a whole bunch of different forms of harm, um, none of which what I said to you was really at its root about defamation law. Um, and there are other laws in different contexts that might um, um, might apply to these companies. But for your like bog standard online safety intermediary liability laws, that's it in Canada. So if you're looking at the context of um, uh, terrorism, hate speech, privacy invasions, yeah, if you're looking at criminal uh, at the criminal code, you might have an avenue to, for example, have um, intimate images taken down, but the legal responsibilities of these companies, all of that is unanswered right now in Canadian law. The only other area of law that does apply is is uh, we have a very unique regime in the context of copyright in Canada. It's a notice and notice regime where if um, basically an ISP has an obligation, um, if, pa- uh, uh, if they're notified by a copyright holder that there's, you know, this IP address has been linked with downloading Game of Thrones illegally. The ISP has an obligation to pass on the notice, and that's all. And if they don't do it, the risk is essentially a an administrative monetary penalty, which is basically a fine. So that is like the the very short version of of intermediary liability in in Canada. Um, it's a short story. <laughs> a short story, perhaps, but it's definitely more complex than we probably think it to be. So in your opinion, is there a reason why the government is just looking at this issue now? Uh, Because I feel like technology has been around for quite a while. Uh, Maybe the rate at which it's progressed has increased significantly over the past few years, but why now? Well, I'm so happy that they are looking at it now. Right. Um, Because I, so I used to live in the UK and I moved back to Canada in 2014. And when I lived in the UK, I was working in this area and it's been just a, a, a front of mind uh, uh, for law and policymakers uh, for decades. And so when I came back here and I felt like I had just, you know, there, there, was, a, there was a conversations amongst experts, but it hadn't bubbled to the surface of law and policymakers. It, it was very strange. And I think that maybe some of the push in Canada was, you know, the Christchurch calls to action really brought to the front of our minds the impact of um, of social media and what online harms really can, you know, how harmful it really can be. 
Um, I think that there's been a lot of scandal in the last several years when it comes to um, tech companies. And um, and so, um, you know, the, the capabilities of technology, whether it's surveillance capabilities um, or just the forms of abuse and a trolling that we're seeing play out in the media, I think all that came to the surface. And so then the, the federal government um, did... I don't know if you'd call it publish, um, they, or issued, they, they posted maybe a digital charter and that digital tar- charter isn't an actual charter. It's not anything legal. It was basically setting out, this is our game plan to deal with digital issues. Um, and there's, there's good and bad about it because I think it overstates it by calling it a digital charter. Um, but at least we started seeing, okay, there's, there's a roadmap here and we might disagree. You know, you you go into any room and there'll be disagreement about the steps that they've taken, but at least it's now, um, at the front of the policy agenda as it should be. When we look at the proposal that was put forward by the federal government, it states that they are aiming to introduce regulations that reduce the spread of quote, illegal and harmful content. What would we define as this illegal and harmful content? Well, that is the money question. And I would say um, to what this type of legislation, what kind of content it should apply to, has been one of the greatest points of debate. And I don't think that I've even come to a firm conclusion at what it should be. So when the government first proposed, um, it, it introduced this kind of discussion paper uh, back in, I think it was July 2021. And they said, this is our idea for a law and we're going to narrowly apply um, apply it to, I think it was five categories of criminal content. So it was going to be intimate image abuse, uh, terrorist propaganda, hate propaganda, incitement to violence, and child sexual abuse material. Um, So I nailed it. I I remembered the five. So their focus was on criminal content. Um, But think for just a split second about the great swath of harm that happens online. And, I mean, can destroy lives, can destroy businesses. It's much wider than those categories. But we have a practical issue here. Uh, one is if you're going to create a new legal framework and we think of just, you know, the, the sheer quantity of information flows, for practical reasons, it might be best to start with um, a more, you know, specific, I guess, areas of content that you know are, are criminal um, and, um, and then you can develop it from there. The question is whether they would actually just say, okay, we're done and dusted now and move on. Um, the other issue is that the federal government, you know, there, there's some kind of jurisdictional um, uh, limits to what they can propose. Many of the areas of online harms that we might want to see focused on, like defamation law, uh, that is really within provincial remit. And so there are the limits to what the federal government can propose here. Um, and, and I actually think that that challenge of that coordination between the provinces and the federal government on the issue of online harms, um, I, 
I think that it should be one of the major points that that they sit down and try to coordinate on um, because I think that people are are sort of being left in the dust and some horrific things are happening in the meantime. In the government's view, when this this proposal turned into a bill and when this bill turned into a law, who's going to be responsible for enforcement? Is it going to be the government, that the federal government? Is it the provincial government? Is it the social media companies or is it individuals uh, on a hand-to-back hand-to-hand combat basis through the courts that will be the ones to try and enforce these these online safety rules well and let me back up to um to explain that in july 2021 the federal government introduced this discussion paper and it was widely criticized and then an election was called and so it died at that point and um when the new government was formed, it, uh, it this was through the the heritage ministry, and at that point, then um, they kind of looked at the criticism and they said, okay, we're going to put together this this expert panel that will advise on some steps forward. And I I was part of that panel. I co-chaired that panel with Pierre Trudel, and uh, and I give that background because. What was originally proposed in July 2021 was the idea of a regulator. And I'd say that that point was has been relatively consistent. So a lot changed um, between 2021 and 2022. And who knows now what they'll propose. But the idea that this isn't actually something that we should really be going to the courts for on an everyday basis, that in fact the nature of these problems are really big. Um, Here's the issue. The initial proposal was really just focused on content takedown. It was like, do you know what? We're going to put an obligation on companies. They're going to have 24 hours, and they're going to have to take content down. That that kind of model uh, is what existed in uh, in Germany under NETS DG, their Network Enforcement Act. Um, There's a lot of problematic and unintended consequences there really incentivizes companies to just take down any content that's in the margins and if you're talking about a lot of content of racialized groups of other marginalized groups that might be actually you know you're punching up you're speaking truth to power whatever it is right they're talking about really important issues a lot of the data about content moderation shows that in fact they end up um it's their content that ends up being taken down. So a 24-hour model doesn't actually give time for the companies to assess the harder cases. So that was that initial approach. Um, The shift then was, well, maybe we should be thinking about this as uh, a duty of care model, which is what the UK proposed, or... um, a due diligence model, which is what Europe proposed with the Digital Services Act. And that means that you take it out of the courts and you say, there's a regulator, independent regulator, maybe like a privacy commissioner, that type, um, that their remit is to not necessarily look at individual pieces of content, but look at the systemic risks of harm of that surface. 
Um, so they're essentially tasks with lifting the lid. Are you doing enough to, to keep people safe? The big question is, but how is this going to interact with the court? So, um, you know, a, a digital safety regulator might initiate an investigation of Twitter or X, whatever we want to call it, and um, say, like, have you, do you have the policies and practices in place and have you been actioning them in a way that your system is, say, addressing, um, properly addressing issues of child sexual abuse material? Um, and uh, that is just looking at Twitter broadly. But what about an individual who is, has been the victim of abuse and that content from, they're an adult now, and that content is from when they're a child and it's continuing to circulate on, on X or Twitter. Um, can they sue Twitter? I mean, right now, there isn't a clear cause of action against Twitter. Um, because it wouldn't fit into the category of defamation. And so a point of discussion for our group was, should you still maintain an ability to be able to sue these companies because they have fallen below some sort of standard of care that you should expect of them? And there's a lot of complication in that, and we don't need to dive into it here, or we can, but... Um, um, but that, that is kind of the, it's a, a long answer I had to give to a relatively straightforward question, um, but you're building a whole framework here. And so it, it's difficult. So going back to the structure of the panel, how many other panelists were there? And in addition to that framework practicality issue, what other topics were discussed? So there, I'm trying to think of how many there were on the panel, probably about nine people. Um, and, uh, and it was uh, people from all kinds of different backgrounds. So they had some of us who were the legal scholars, you know, I mean, you definitely we had academics in the group, but different backgrounds, extremism, experts, um, psychologists, uh, we also had representatives from from you know civil society and from impacted groups, um, and who who are particularly you know impacted by online harms, all you know kind of voicing their opinions about what we should do. And it was interesting because I think when we we got us all together, we weren't really certain how much we would agree on or not agree on. And we did not have a mandate to agree on anything. Our job was really to sit like and have a discussion. And each week you would have, you know, a, a discussion document that um, was prepared by the Heritage Ministry. There was feedback from Pierre and I about it. And and we shifted a few things as we went along. So we provided quite a bit of feedback. But it just became this point of, okay, let's have a conversation and talk through these issues. Um, despite not having a mandate to reach agreement, we actually all very quickly agreed on what I would say is just sort of what would be the core features of a law. Um, so, and, and there's some points that we just 
couldn't reach agreement on. But I think what that shows is these are really difficult issues and choices have to be made. And so when I read the bill, whenever that is <laughs> introduced, I hope it's soon, um, I will be reading those carefully to say, is this a defensible solution? I might not agree with it. I wish you'd gone in a different direction, but is it reasonable? Because I've sat in rooms with people who disagree with me and they have reasonable things to say. So this is the the main, I think, framework was this idea that companies, these companies have, provide services, they provide products, they have a duty to act responsibly. And, um, and so obligations should be imposed on them to basically reasonably um, manage these services, and that there should be two components to it. One should be that um, they should be able to, if you lift the lid and they're asked to demonstrate what they've done, can they show the steps they've taken to address harm, right? Um, say there's a special duty to protect children. Can they say, this is the st these are the steps we're taking. My service, TikTok, is not the same as Facebook. It's not the same as Signal. And that, I mean, private messaging is a whole other thing. Can you show us what steps you've taken? But I think another point, and I, I don't know what if the government will put this in the bill, but I really hope so, is that the companies also have a responsibility to, um, to protect human rights. So if they're taking steps to deal with hate propaganda on their services, are they also doing way that's context sensitive? Are they taking care to try to respect freedom of expression, to take steps that are kind of proportionate and minimally impairing of those rights? Um, there's no direct you know, legal obligation for these companies when it comes to freedom of expression, but the government can put can put duties on them. The uh, points of uh, of debate. Um, oh, actually, before I say the points of debate, I would say uh, everyone agreed there should be a regulator. That would be the way to go here. Where are the points of debate? Mis and disinformation. What do we do about this, you know, enormous threat to democracy and to society? Is this actually something that should be in legislation? Um, what kind of complaints mechanisms should be available to individuals? Should there be an ombudsperson or tribunal? What do you do about private messaging? What's in scope? How far down the internet stack do you go? Like, who's the supply to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, so t stuff like that. I mean, I'd say we agreed on most of those things, but there's there's a lot that you could unpack in each one of those. This is the first of a two-part instalment on the world of internet law. In our next instalment, we will pick up with the idea of lawful but awful, how a regular Canadian can weigh in with their opinion on this debate, and much more. We'd like to thank Professor Emily Laidlaw once again for joining us for this month's Hearsay episode. Please remember that we are proud to present you with legal information, not legal advice. If you require legal advice, please consult a lawyer. The podcast is a joint project between CJSW 90.9 FM and Pro Bono Students Canada University of Calgary chapter. If you would like to hear more podcasts like this, the Hearsay podcast can be found on Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.